No, forget. Oh, here's the segue issues. I know. <laughs> this week's segue is brought to you by Segway. Drive yourself <laughs> off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything about assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me in the room, look at who it is. It's Ryan Flurry. Hello. And it is Steve Barkley. What? My goodness, you're right. Uh, hey, how are you gents this week? Ah, running around like a chicken with my head cut off. And I'm doing well. <laughs> I look at Steve's calendar and go, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> you, guys, you guys work for the same company, right? Yeah. In theory. <laughs> Very different worlds. Steve's the feet on the ground. And I've, I've had plenty of feet on the ground today. Yeah, so you've been, you've been around the lower mainland and back again, eh? Yeah, I started off this morning with a uh, CNIB leadership team meeting to introduce them to Scribe for uh, meetings. Followed it with an anti-gloom Zoom room. Yep. Had a call with Adam Wilton at PRCDI. Oh, good old Adam. Went out to an uh, uh, appointment in West Vancouver with a fellow there. Ran over to Rick's to pick up some equipment. Ran back to storage to drop off some equipment. Uh-huh. And here I am. Wow. Man man about town i have been i've been gadding about how is uh how's everything else what's what's anything new and new and exciting new and exciting well i've been i've been playing with the annie from tinkerbell or tinkerbell it's not tinkerbell thinkerbell thinkerbell labs in india oh really and tell yeah. me tell me more about this annie what is it it's it's a really interesting braille training device it's a it, it's a little device it's got uh, a braille keyboard on it it's got a six cell regular size braille display but then in addition, it's got two large dot Braille cells uh, that are used to introduce just basic concepts around Braille. So things like, uh, you know, what's dot one, what's dot two, stuff like that. Um, and then uh, it's also got a little inverted display, which is for uh, like uh, teaching somebody to use a slate and stylus. Um, so it's actually backwards. You've got you've got to punch your Braille backwards to to uh, do input on it and uh it's all it's all built with this structured training system to help somebody start from scratch and start learning their contractions as they as they go on it's it's really a it's a neat little product and uh i'm uh, i'm hoping it can be uh developed to uh, fit into the canadian market so sorry how how new is it I think they've been doing it for a little while in India. They they started off in India. It was that was where the product was developed, and and it was really uh, kind of their primary focus was to get it out there. 
so I think it's been out for a couple of years, but it's just never really made it across the pond. Uh, it's never quite been ready for our market because they, they haven't, you know, finished it off yet for localization for anywhere other than India, I guess. Well, I find it really interesting that, that a lot of blindness devices sort of start their lives out um, overseas mm -hmm. rather than, than here. Is there any particular reason why that, that happens? Um, I think, you know, for a lot of products, uh, the, the, there's just a lot more funding in Europe for product development than there is in, in North America. Um, so I think we, we see a lot of products developed over there just because of that. Um, suddenly there's been a bunch of stuff that's been um, developed in India. This is, this is a recent thing. Um, you know, we've got, um, uh, who've we got? We've got Orbit, we've got uh, Thinkerbell Labs, we've got uh, the guys who do the Braille Me, um, I've forgotten their name, In InnoVision, is that InnoVision? Yeah. Um, so all of a sudden these three different companies have sprung up and uh, they're, they're, you know, making products that are less expensive than stuff that's on the market currently and uh um you know I, th I think they can probably uh do that just because they've got a, just a massive population over there right you know so much so much bigger population that if they can you know get government funding to to cover the costs of either r d or to purchase their products they, there's there's a great jump start for them to take it out to other parts of the world yeah, and I wonder if if sort of supply lines have a bit to do with it too, because so much of the production of the actual components happens overseas that I, I guess maybe it does cut down on costs in terms of getting getting the parts to where they need to be in terms of putting them to, together into a into a device. Yeah, and you know, with with India you know, being um, slowly uh, growing its middle class and, and developing more and more, you know, right now they've got a, a major advantage on labor costs too for, for manufacturing, which is pretty helpful. And I think we're, we're starting to see some people as, as China gets more and more global aspirations and gets more and more ornery around things like patent rights and such, I think we're, we're starting to see more businesses moving manufacturing into India. So they're, they're really developing that, that um, part of their economy and, and growing it out. So I think we'll see more of it to come. Well, that's really cool because we do need certainly more Braille education products. Like that's, a, that's actually a really exciting um, prospect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Anything that makes Braille less expensive and gets it in the hands of more people is a good thing to my mind, as long as it's reliable, as we discovered with, uh, unfortunately, InnoVision, uh, the, the Braille Me turned out to be considerably less than reliable. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's no good. Yeah, our last, our last shipment from them had a 100% failure rate. Oh my gosh, really? Yep. Every single oh. unit that we got on that last shipment failed. Holy crap, like right out of the box? No. Some of them lasted a few months, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, every, every single one of them ended up with some kind of problem. And that's a shame, but I guess, I mean, that's part of, you know, a newer technology. Um, I guess that's the risk you run. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds a bit to me like maybe the, the guys who started that company just didn't really stay engaged with it and went off to work on other things. Um, you know, they, they, 
they seemed to just sort of drop the ball. You know, they they weren't developing the software for it. Uh, you know, we were. Uh, have, have they caught up on an NVDA driver, so far as you know, Ryan? Honestly, I haven't even looked. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't looked either. But, but we uh, waited a long time for that to be updated. Yeah, and people had to use an old version of NVDA to continue using that Braille display. They couldn't. They couldn't stay current with it, which is unfortunate. So yeah, it's uh, every every single person that I've sold uh, a, a Braille Me Two at this point, with the exception of I think maybe two, has been refunded for them. Oof! Ouch! Yeah. Ouch www.canastech.com <laughs> we refund with a smile shameless plug no we've got to stand behind our customers right you, know, you yeah, can't sure. you can't you, should, you know you can't sell them a lemon and then say well too bad so sad but it's a, it is a really shame because for somebody who is like excited about getting a new braille device that is within their budget to then get it and then it just it it doesn't work it, it shits the bed on them um, are, are, do you find a lot of people are, are reordering new ones or is the, the experience just kind of souring them on it and they're just like, you know what, I guess I'll just save up for a, you know. Yeah, uh, most of them have switched over to some other device. Unfortunately, yeah, the, you know, the limit of affordable choices, you know, we're still limited, right, when it comes to affordable Braille. So yeah, you're looking at the Orbit devices, which are, you know, very good devices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they seem to be standing up so far. Yep. And we've had some we've had some minor issues with them with uh, dots that it gets stuck up or dots that get stuck down, but we'll see how all of that gets resolved. I had to I had to send my first units back for repair uh, just yesterday, as a matter of fact. But I mean, braille devices, especially electronic braille devices, uh, I mean they they there's a lot to go wrong with them, like. You know, somebody sort of outside the industry may listen to this and go, wow, like that's a, you know, these things seem to, to malfunction quite a bit, but it's, it's mainly because they're complicated devices, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you look at a, a, you know, your typical eight dot Braille cell has eight moving components to it um, as, as a bare minimum. Um and, uh, you know, like an Orbit 20, that's, that's 160 moving elements that all have to be perfect, right? So if one of them isn't perfect, suddenly you've got a dot that isn't going up or isn't coming down, you know, it's, it's a problem. Yeah, that, that's right. So no eating or drinking over your Braille displays, people. Never eat or drink with <laughs> Braille display. Don't eat lunch and read on your Braille display. That's right. Mayonnaise is not their Braille display's friend. Or juice, water. No. Well, okay, on that note, uh, hey, Ryan. Yes, Rob. Um, what are we doing today? Today, we are speaking with returning friend of the show, Kelly Goto from Goto Media and Goto Research. Cool. Mm -hmm. now, Steve, I think the last time we talked to her, I don't think you, I think you were away that week that we talked to her last. Is that right? Do you remember? Yeah, I was. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't there. Yeah, he wasn't here. I listened yeah. to the show. There was no Steve. Yeah, let's look at my memory. Wow. Amazing like what I remember and what things I can't remember. I can't remember what I did <laughs> yesterday, but I remember the, the Kelly Goto at last episode. So weird. Well, clearly I'm remembering all the important things. That's right. Apparently so. Yeah, it'll be good uh, to have her back on and talk about, you know, what's been happening over there for the last couple of years, because it was 2019 when she was last on the show. Lots has changed. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, I know that the last time, you know, we talked a little bit about about what uh, they do over there at Godo Media, and they're mainly. Do you, do you actually know exactly what they do, Ryan? No. <laughs> We're going to ask her to refresh us again because yeah, okay. they're all about user experience. Yeah, so they were doing in-car entertainment systems. You know, they've worked with Walmarts and Netflix. And so it's a lot about user experience Yeah, and how I guess that how it relates to products. Yeah, it's very high level stuff. It is. It's beyond us, us dumbasses. But Absolutely. So yeah, this is going to be exciting. I'm, I'm anxious to, to get her on and talk to her. Joining us now is Kelly Goto. All right. So Kelly, welcome back to AT Banter. Of course, I am Ryan and joining me as usual are Rob Minot. Hello. And for the first time, his debut episode with you, Mr. Steve Barkley. I'm so honored to be here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm glad we could schedule this. Why don't we just for just to put things in context and just to remind anybody, any listener, well, I guess we wouldn't be reminding them, letting any listeners know uh, that maybe missed the, the episode that you were on last. Give us a little bit of a rundown of who you are and, uh, and what you guys do over there at GoToMedia. Yeah, well, I have two companies, so that's why it's confusing. And one is GoToMedia. GoToMedia focuses on digital products, web products, digital interfaces, uh, applications, and design. And we do lots and lots and lots of that across enterprise. Uh, actually just designed a car, an autonomous car interface. We do lots of different things. And then on the go to research side, which is where I kind of met you guys, I focus a lot on what's the future and where are we going and how do we use design thinking and inclusive design practices and co-creation to design a better future. And so with that world, the go to research world is where I really dive into you know, the older adult market and what's happening with accessibility and where do products and services want to go with voice and things like that. So that is probably where it's very confusing is to figure out what I do. Well, I mean, it, uh, slightly, but uh, the work that you're doing is incredibly important. And, um, and I know we're going to have a great conversation today about digital accessibility and a little bit about the state of digital accessibility. But I'm also really curious to, to hear what um, what your progress has been in the last two years on that as well, since you kind of have these boots on the ground and you're sort of on the front line of, of making some of these changes for sure. Uh, and plus, I, I really, I'm really curious about the autonomous car uh, interface. So we'll have, to, we'll have to make sure we talk about that later too. Okay, that sounds good. And also, you know, just for context, this is the 20th year anniversary of GoToMedia. It, it launched, uh, I wrote a book, way back when and it actually came out launch date was september 11th 2001 really bad day to have a party <laughs> and uh we were reliving that over the weekend and um yeah it's been it's been 20 years since uh my company began and so that's been a long road as well well congratulations happy anniversary thank yeah indeed. thank you thank you so um yeah so ask away i don't know how what i'm doing fits into the context but i certainly have been doing a lot of thinking about it and then we live in the real world which is trying to make experiences work which is not always an easy task so right. yeah i'd love to just dive into it so back in 2019 kelly you had mentioned that you had been working on in-car systems and a lot of what you talked about was regarding user experience 
With the pandemic over the last two years, have you noticed any more conversations about user experience, including accessibility or inclusivity? Because everybody's had to pivot. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's been interesting. Not a lot has happened actually since 2019, at least um, from the consumer point of view. I think a lot of car companies are experimenting more and more. I see the life cycle uh, of what's happening with in-car systems going much faster for the smaller, more nimble companies, as as you know, like Tesla and um, some of the newer autonomous cars that are coming out. Uh, they, they have the ability to design in-house. So they have a lot of speed and agility that helps them progress, I guess, faster. But I, I won't pretend to know everything about the, um, you know, the automobile world, mm-hmm. but I just know about the projects that we've worked on. And I think that when we have the ability to go in and look at systems, and so in this case, I, I can talk about it on a vague level, but it was for a well-known car company out of Japan. It was a demo uh, for a prototype of a car that was being released originally for the 2020 Olympics, which ended up, of course, eking into the 2020 Olympics, the 2021 Olympics. And what we were building was kind of a concierge experience for someone riding in the back of a car. So a passenger who would be ported here or there? And what would they want to see? What would they want to know? What would they want to understand? And I will tell you that dealing with kind of this iterative process that we had of designing components of the experience, looking at the 3D aspects of the experience, porting it into their system, which was a real car. I mean, it really did work. It's just not out for public consumption. It was interesting that it had to be high contrast that the letters and the words needed to be easily seen and scanned. Because even though we are designing a backseat experience, and there was some front seat experience as well that came into the picture, we had to make sure that it was super easy to use, easy to view, easy to understand, easy to get back if you needed to, to another state. And so a lot of the same principles applied to one 101 accessibility. Let's make it high contrast, let's use fonts that aren't overly complex. And so as much as we wanted to design something that was super amazingly cool, we still had to go back and create really simple icons and keep it as just only what's on the screen is things that we need to see. And so, yeah, I think it was an interesting lesson because we wanted to go out of the box, but we ended up staying kind of in the box. And voice has a small component. We didn't design the the voice system, but there's a lot going on with voice and in-car systems right now. So um, yeah, it just keeps going and going. And I love being a part of it. Yeah, I think one of the things people might not think about, and maybe I'm wrong in thinking this myself, but can we not have a, a very pretty, fancy, cool experience and have it still be accessible? I want to believe that simplicity is beautiful in all areas. There was a really gorgeous interface that I remember with uh, the, I think it was the, oh gosh, which was the Leaf? Do you remember? Was it Nissan Leaf? Nissan, yeah. Nissan, yeah. Nissan Leaf. And there was this concept of helping to promote uh, 
you know, the, the, the economic savings and how much we're giving back to the environment. And so this was shown, at least in a prototype that I had seen of a leaf growing and a vine growing. And the more you saved gas and the more you utilized, you know, good energy, good clean energy, the bigger the leaf would grow. And it was really such a beautiful metaphor of how your driving can actually help the environment. So I think there are beautiful ways for us to visualize how the consumption world fits into environment. And I know that's not the topic of what we're talking about today, but I do think that there's opportunity to create little, you know, beautiful metaphors. And of course, in an accessible way that translates into sounds and the, the way the car responds and systems that are in place that are elegant. Elegant can equal beauty as well. Yeah. And so just to go back just for a minute, have you had more conversations with organizations, whether it's go to media or with go within go to research about inclusivity, accessibility? Is that more of a dialogue now than it was a couple of years ago? Absolutely. So I think the awareness is growing. I think the lawsuits have not hurt uh, <laughs> since 2017. I think that the increased maybe by 30% or something. Uh, I think we've we've all become aware that privacy is a, is a bigger issue as well. So I think there's a lot of awareness around things that corporations especially need to take responsibility for. Um, you know, especially as they design and and put out new systems. So those systems, obviously, we can talk about the web and the web feels boring, but the web still is in front of us every day. We can talk about content creation and the importance that the web content um, accessibility, how, how much all the changes that have been made in the last few years have played in. Uh, I think that designers are increasingly more aware and corporations are hiring more accessibility oversight and programs and they're implementing those programs uh, every day. And, and I will say we have one big client, VMware, and VMware has a really amazing advocate for accessibility, Sherry Bernhaber, and she writes and blogs and she's very well known in the accessibility world. But one of the things that she stresses is there's a lot of acquisitions. And so you might have a corporation that's doing it right and they're aware and they have standards in place and they're putting it across the organization and every touch point. And they're making sure that uh, the, the current standards are, you know, that they're testing for it and they have a plan in place, but then they acquire another company and that company comes in without any of that oversight. So there's a lot going on that we see in a lot of these acquisitions and roll-ups where companies need to be retrained both at the, you know, kind of corporate level, the business level, as to why this is important and why they need to invest in. And then on the hands-on level, there's always the coding and the design and everyone needs to consistently be retrained and made to be aware of why this is important. So it sounds like there might be some hope for mankind. <laughs> crazy, Ryan. At, at least the budgets are there i don't know excellent you were here for the june heat wave right <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, well, that's when I had my air conditioning installed. I, I, I actually <laughs> had this, this centralized air installed in my house. I had planned it for weeks. I mean, months, sorry, had it scheduled. And the, the guys put it in in this one weekend and kicked out our old furnace and everything. And the air was blowing and it felt so great. And they said, good timing because it's going to be really hot next week. I said, oh, okay. And I had no idea that our timing had been perfect. Yeah. So our house was one of the cooler houses in the area. I had a friend come over that needed to stay cool for her medical needs. And so she stayed in the basement and uh, I loaned out an air conditioner, an extra air conditioner that I had to a family that had an older, um, you know, upper eighties people living in a very small um, space. And so it all worked out. Where, whereabouts are you located, Kelly? Oh, that good question. I am in Seattle and I, uh, so I, you know, I'm, I used to pop up and up and down up to Vancouver all the time. And I actually live on an Island called Mercer Island. And oh, yeah. it's in, in a lake in the middle of, you know, there's Seattle over there and then there's Bellevue over there, Seattle, you know, a view just right across the lake. And then, and then Bellevue's just literally five minutes away. So I'm kind of smack in the middle of Amazon and Microsoft. <laughs> nice. Next, uh, hopefully I never hear the words heat dome ever again in my life. That's what <laughs> I would be. Um, well, you know, it's, it's really interesting too, when, when Ryan pitched the episode and, and he said, you know, Kelly wants to come back on and, and she wants to talk a little bit about the state of accessibility and, and sort of how it's, how it's changed over the past few years. I had to really sort of sit and, and think about it. And I really feel like in ways from our perspective, anyways, not a heck of a lot has changed. Not a lot has really gotten too much better. Uh, at least from our perspective, from the outside, and listening to you talk, I, 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 it's it's interesting because I feel like there are a, a variety of different perspectives. That where whereas you know the news is is actually pretty good, and it sounds like from the inside there are changes happening. It's just that from the outside, it may it may feel like those changes are are slow. Um, and I guess that, that that's just sort of the nature of the beast because we kind of have to make these these changes from within. Um, it, and it's a whole mindset that needs to change in terms of, of, of a de development processes. Um, and, and I really do feel like even something like more companies being on board with inclusive hiring practices, I think is a really big deal because what happens there is when you have employees uh, that have that lived experience um, with disability, that is going to spill into the into the workplace environment and hopefully spill into a development process or a, a product pitch or what, whatever it's whatever's happening. Um, is is that kind of is, is that kind of how you're seeing it? Well, you know, I had a friend, another Kelly, Kelly Pedro, and she was doing that article for Zeitspace. And I, she asked me, she contacted me and said, hey, what's the state of digital accessibility? And I said, well, gosh, I actually, I agree. There hasn't been these huge shifts in what we experience on a regular basis. Uh, there are other ones. I'll talk about that in a second. But then I had her talk to you. And I actually, I mean, I think people are always looking both, I guess you just said it, outside and inside views or corporate and customer views as to how things are changing. So what are we feeling? So from my perspective, 
I do see that corporations are taking more responsibility. I do see the accessibility conversations becoming more front and center. But I think that there is a big disconnect between what people are doing every single day to make the products better versus the corporate chatter and let's put something out and use it as a case study. Uh, I, I want to believe, and I'm not a gamer and I, I'm not, how do I say this? I don't necessarily design for gaming, but I do appreciate all the work that these companies have done with controllers and, right. and how, how they're, how they're working to, um, create more accessible uh, systems and, 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 I, and I love that. So some of the research, I guess I'll talk about the research that we've done. We have recently uh, been doing research into 12 countries looking at deaf people. And what we were trying to understand is gestures. And we were trying to understand how some gestures could work across cross-culturally without offending anyone, how do we, how do we create gestures? So gestures is, is really an interesting uh, thing that I have tangentially explored since 2010. We did this study on gestures in, in 18 countries and, and we're constantly looking at cross-cultural implications. So I went ahead and recruited 12 countries. I found deaf people in each country. I was trying to find out if we could find people in the US that were from that country, if that would work, but no, they wanted to actually go to the countries. And then I wondered about translation. So I actually was trying to pair recruit someone that could speak and speak in both languages and translate using um, ASL or ESL. Um, and it ended up being that we could just recruit one person from each country who was fully deaf that could speak English and we just interacted by texting on Zoom for every single part of the study. So it worked out really well. And, and, and it was just interesting to think about why that was important to the company we did it for. And there was a lot of cross-cultural implications. Um, I'll stop there, but there's other studies that we've been doing and, and work that we've been doing um, in the assistive tech space, but I'll stop for a second. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, interestingly enough, uh, I think that that Ryan really hit the sixty-four million dollar question, and so gold star to Ryan because I think that he's kind of distilled everything down to that that single question of can you make something that is that feels shiny and new and really spiffy for able-bodied users while at the same time making that completely accessible you know and and so I, and i feel like that's really that's the code to crack that's where like we, to be able to balance those two things because so you know I, I feel like a lot of developers feel like well if i have to make this accessible well my hands are tied like i i i'm not able to have free reign i can't make this in a way that is going to really feel special and shiny. Yeah, well, maybe we need to take a, a simpler approach to it. You know, yeah, pie in the sky would be great, but can I have a washer and dryer that with an LCD screen that I can actually use so I can independently wash my clothes? Can I have a microwave that doesn't have a touch screen or if it does has speech output? 
you know, can I have a, t- a smart TV that has speech output, um, home, home theater receivers, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on of things we use every day that are not accessible. So fancy and accessible would be great, but functionality, you know, give me that first. <laughs> I agree. I mean, getting down to usability 101, when I started, it was 20 years ago, we were really focused just on the basics. Let's get into, and it was, you know, human computing, human factors, and HC, you know, all the stuff happening with HCI, it was just about making things usable at a base level. And these are systems from a developer point of view. So we're in some ways still at that level when it comes to products and services. And we have done a lot of work and this is through the research side. So I will say that a lot of the research that we do working with car companies and TV manufacturers and you know different products um, that you guys have heard of. I mean, we are trying to and address accessibility from the get-go, but there's so many factors including trying to be the latest and the fanciest that cause complications. I think voice is the one area that can serve a universal purpose and still be cool. I think that voice is still in its infancy and that there's big differences between what conversational design is now and what it can be. And at a base level, it can be another form of alternate input and alternate functionality, but voice is still considered part of the new wave of user-centered design. And I think uh, the reason why at least a lot of companies are are thinking about that, I mean, it, it, it's cool and it's important because it, it covers everyone, including um, older adults, which I've focused a lot on is the, the crossover into um, what's happening with the older adults in this world. But I mean, I think that the crux of what we're trying to talk about is what is happening and why isn't it happening faster? And on both sides of the table, it's not like I'm able to solve that problem. Sure. I mean, I do find that, you know, in the old world, you get a car and you still have to twice a year change the time on the car. Right. And it's really, really hard to do that. And sometimes you have to look at a video <laughs> so that you can, why, why is that? I mean, how much are you spending on this thing and why can't it change time automatically when the time zone changes? So I don't understand that. And I, I still don't understand that. And, and we, we've been, you know, kind of dealing with that. So, I mean, this could be a big complaint session, but I mean, I, <laughs> I, oh, no, no, I don't, don't get have... me wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, and I could complain until the day I die because we're not ever going to get to the point of full accessibility everywhere and any in, in everything. I think that's reality. But, you know, especially in the blindness community, we just want access to the same things our sighted peers have access to, whether that's doing our laundry, cooking a meal, you know, I don't really care about autonomous cars, that's fine and dandy. But, you know, the things I need to get through a, a, a day are important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting. Um, because, you know, you can sort of pull up a few different historical examples. Uh, uh, I mean, look, smartphones are a great example. Um, you know, when smartphones first came out, they were completely inaccessible. Like this was just, there was no, there was no using that um, at all for somebody who is say blind or partially sighted. Um, and it took a few years, but Apple sort of 
came out and they built this this great accessibility into it and here we are now fast forward and it's probably one of the most powerful little pieces of at that's also a mainstream device and it's actually something you could point to that and go this is really super shiny and super attractive to people who are able-bodied but it's also incredibly useful for somebody who with a disability um and that's because of of what Apple has done. So we, we can we know that it's possible to do both. Um, and, but you know, Ryan's Ryan's example about these appliances is sort of a great example on the other side, where you have manufacturers that went, well, this is great. We can make these stoves, and we can make like a nice LCD panel, and it can look really sleek and shiny, and it can do all this cool stuff. But they didn't stop and go, okay, wait a minute, how does somebody who's blind uh, turn on their stove or know how hot their stove is? Like there's there's these weird disconnects all over the place. But you know, at the same time, there are companies and corporations that that have done really well. So it's just it's 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 a little bit of a of a balancing act. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Apple, I mean, I I just I don't know how we can have a conversation, you know, just in, in podcasts or in lectures, Apple just keeps getting called out as, you know, the best ever in all ways. And so I was always, you know, looking, I mean, just even the upgrades that they've done in the last round of, of products and voiceover and um, just the accessibility features keep going higher and higher and higher up on the phone. And, uh, I mean, I know that it's been the tool that's really changed things. Android, you know, has adjusted and come quickly after, but Apple had a centralized uh, goal, I think, starting from the ground up. And yeah, Steve was part of that way back in the day. And um, they really concentrated from day one on making their devices as accessible as possible from from the get-go. So it really does come from the DNA of the company. And I think, and I and I I don't have ties to these companies, but if you take LG or, you know, I have worked with Samsung in the past, I mean, they are large mega corporations that definitely have accessibility now, you know, that they're working on, but it takes a while for it to really infuse itself into the entire culture and the DNA of the company. So it does take time, but that's why what you guys are doing is so important because there needs to be more awareness as to good design and why it's important to think about all you know, aspects of user experience. And it's only going to serve everyone and grow your audience and make things you know better and easier to use. And so it starts with that corporate mindset. They have to believe in it and they have to instill their designers and their business decision makers with the tools to make it happen or get sued yeah <laughs> yeah that's getting sued the threat Seems to work that's yeah that does work it does work it's awesome i'm trying to think of you know other examples i mean if i think about access alone i mean for me someone asked me well what's going on with healthcare?" and i said you know right now we have the worst access in the, in the US, we have the lowest speeds and the worst access, especially because people are moving out of big cities into rural areas. We have a growing aging population, as you guys know. And the three states with the largest 
per capita population. I think it's like one in five people in in these states that are over 65. They're, um, let me see if I can get this right, Maine, uh, West Virginia, Virginia, West Virginia, and Vermont, I think have one out of five people are 65 and older. Um, I think there's stats too that say one out of four people in the U.S. just on average have some kind of disability, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's a lot of people that need to be considered. And those three states have the lowest broadband access. So we talk about digital because we're talking about digital accessibility, being reliant on having good internet systems to create smart homes and, you know, just to access content you know, talk about, we talked about Netflix last time, you know, and, and it's not happening. So access in itself is a huge issue that needs to be solved. And, um, you know, I, I, I talk about that a lot because there's a huge break in the digital divide that's even getting bigger during COVID. And now companies are starting to pay attention. So maybe that's the only upside to this digital divide that's happening, which is, um, kind of this crisis that's happening is that companies are starting to pay attention and uh, at least making some effort to overcome some of the connectivity issues. Well, we mentioned that, you know, in the last 18 months as well, you know, COVID has really, I think, opened people's eyes to what is possible, whether it's virtual meetings, virtual conferences, hybrid systems, working from home, remote learning. It's definitely shown people what's possible. And none of this would have changed, I don't think, if the pandemic didn't happen. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. And also working from home now, uh, I think it's actually served a, a big piece of some of the issues that at least friends of mine who are blind and looking for work, um, they can work from home a little bit easier. And uh, I know a friend of mine is looking for work and having access to simple tools, I mean, like what Indeed or jobs.com or Monster, it used to be Monster, mm. you know, just making sure that those websites are accessible for people that are job hunting and things like that, that's going to continue to be important. So, you know, the web is might be boring for some people, but dealing with access to content and continuing to build that into the, I guess, the teachings from school all the way to working at a company and making sure that that checklist is there. I think that we are making progress, believe it or not, because more and more people that I know, and it's not just because I'm, I deeply care about the space, but I, I do believe that it's happening everywhere. And a lot of it was led by Microsoft. Um, Kat Holmes really, really brought this idea of inclusive design into the mainstream. And it takes that level of evangelism and, and it has to kind of feel cool. Like, yay, we're getting on the bandwagon for inclusive design. And what does that mean? I don't know, but we got to be part of it. We got to learn more. And so that evangelism really helps kind of spread the word. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've often, like, like Ryan was saying, like we, we have said on the podcast that, you know, one of the silver linings with COVID has, it has really been driving home more so than ever the importance of digital accessibility. You know, when you have organizations and you have even, um, you know, municipalities and government agencies that move to a strictly online format, well, that format has to be accessible 
or 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 you know or else you know you're 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 cutting people out of essential services and we have examples here in Canada even of things that are just happening recently of um releasing apps and things uh that uh aren't accessible uh, a good example is uh we have a an app that was released by the border services called ArriveCan that you have to go through in order to to travel internationally and when they released that app uh, it was it was inaccessible. People who were using screen readers couldn't actually use it. Um, I, I'm not sure if they fixed that now, um, but that's a that's a really really big deal, especially when that is your only avenue to to do something as essential as travel, like get home. So I mean, it's those are the things that that we sort of come across in doing the show that that really make us. Um, frustrated and make us feel like, oh, we're not getting anywhere. Like, we, you know, we're we're here, we're, we're preaching the preaching the gospel, but who's listening? If the government's not even listening, then what what hope do we have with things like corporations? But I think at the same time, like, I really do agree that uh, uh, you know, companies like Microsoft, like Apple, um, like Google, they're really they're really 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 doing some really great work in the in this space um and and really helping trickle this this um philosophy down well i mean it has to it's going to take a generation of designers and so i was interviewing uh well talking i mean we had a few different conversations with jeffrey zeldman and he ran the original wasp project the web standards project way back in late 90 you know 1999 or whatever um in in into 2000 and they pushed and pushed and pushed, and they are a group of just devoted pe people that were that were really wanting to make sure that all the browsers were consistent. And it was this idea that content oh, could funny. be published once, right? And so yeah, right. they they did they did a lot. <laughs> I mean, but they they did a lot. There was there was browser wars, and they actually got you know at the time um, Microsoft and and I don't know the whole story, but these are you know really huge efforts and they they were just talking about how the band needs to come back you need to bring the band back together because i think it gets down to standards and standards need to be reapplied in this new era where there are gestures and there's voice and there's touch and there's a lot of different input methods now that need to again align with this idea of standards and and it, it it's sometimes weird to think of you know when you think about an accessibility expert coming in like a friend of mine Derek Featherstone has been kind of dealing with this for 20 years and a really good friend of mine you laugh but I actually want to know why okay tell me why you're laughing because it's sad that we don't have those kinds of standards that are in place to make this world more accessible but there's a lot of effort from the ground up to no. make these things happen. <laughs> no, there isn't. <laughs> Rob, Rob and I recently, Rob sent me a form to test yeah. out for accessibility with a screen reader. Oh, and no. I used Firefox, I used Microsoft yep. Edge, and I used Google Chrome. I used JAWS for Windows, and I used NVDA, the free screen reader. And in each instance, not one tool read the website properly. My best results or I think with what, Rob, NVDA and Firefox or JAWS and Firefox, but Firefox rendered the page better than Edge or Chrome. And there were just, it was a mess. And I, if I didn't have the multiple tools in my toolbox, I wouldn't have been able to accomplish what I needed to do. 
So the browser wars are still on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you know, yep. in, in, all, in all fairness, I mean, it, 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 they're, you know, they're, they're different browsers, so they're built differently. They're developed by different people, right. and so there's going to be all these variables. And I guess that's the real challenge, right? Um, in terms of like the browser wars and trying to keep up, you've got, you know, you've got different people using different solutions, you know, different screen readers, and then you've also got. Uh, different browsers and so and everything is different so to it's probably an impossible task to get all of those things working in the same way and getting the same result but is uh, it if the code is if the if the standards are in place for the html code or the css code because those screen readers should be rendering whatever the code is serving up to them right despite what browser right. it is you're using that code, right. the code on the website isn't changing, dependent on the browser I'm using or the screen reader I'm using. The code's the code. Yeah. That's no, I mean, I think I actually think. I mean, I don't, I don't know because this is where yeah, I, I am either. not the expert, and I talk mm -hmm. to people. But I love hearing your hellish experience because <laughs> and this was a simple of... <laughs> form. This was a simple form. <laughs> I don't know. I, all I know is that there's all these, you know, Squarespace and templates and yeah. Wix and everything. And my team will, will not use those. And, and I get it. And I, I think some of, you know, the, the, the templates allow people to get up sites up quickly and, and some of the code is clean, but we have moved to Webflow because the code is cleaner. And I don't know if that's something that you would agree with or not, but if we're building quick sites and using templates and things like that, we have kind of moved to this other tool called Webflow. And the reason is the code is cleaner. And my designers who are also coders can deal with it. And they, they feel like clean code is the most important thing that we can do. And of course, uh, you know, that translates into small sites, but how does it work on a corporate level and how, how are all the, the pages displaying? So I think that it's actually a really important topic that we continue to think about because creating content, whether it's for a screen reader or it's for one mobile device versus another versus a tablet. I mean, you don't want to have to code every single page separately. And we don't want to live in that world. We want to live in a responsive world and be responsible. And so, yeah, I think we need to continue to uh, push forward this idea of creating content once and publishing it everywhere. And in that way, it will read cleanly on screen readers. So, you know, how, how do I make that happen? How do I push for that? How do I talk to my colleagues and uh, continue to make sure that that's front and center with people as they develop websites? And then we move into products, products well, being think... a slightly different game, you know? And I think that's, you know, part of the issue is we have to currently have multiple tools in our toolbox. And I'm just talking blindness. I don't know what it's like for magnification or, you know, switch access, any of the other alternative methods for access. But, you know, if if somebody is serving me a web page, I can look at it with Chrome and go, well, this is sort of functional. But then if I go and bring up Firefox, it's like, wow, this is fully accessible. Like, how do I know as a user, I shouldn't have to do the homework to pick a browser that's going to render a web page in such a way that I can use it. Right. So that's right. That's right. And, and that's the frustrating part is you just don't know. You can't expect an end user to have three browsers, three screen readers and pick and choose, which is going to be the one that's most efficient. 
That's yeah, right. well, That's and then right. you have, you have even more variables too, because then because everything like nobody hand codes anymore. Nobody, right. you know, well, I shouldn't say nobody because I'm sure maybe there are a few people. Well, that majority have, don't. We have like Linux on their machine, and they still make their way <laughs> right by hand. But it, it, for the most part, everybody's using like content management systems. Yeah. You know, they, you, you, everybody's using a backend. Everybody's like using website builders, and all those builders um, build that code differently. And so you've got that variable, plus you've got the different browsers, you've got that variable, and you've got the screen reader variable. So there's so many variables bouncing around that, uh, yeah, I, I see your point, Ryan. Like, I, I think, I guess that, you know, having that one, one standard way of producing HTML code um, is, is just what kind of needs to happen in order to make that, that experience sort of a Well, the down, unfortunate side is there are web standards in place. There are. Yeah standards and they're just yeah. not being followed by everybody that's right and i think that ada and all the um you know i guess the laws actually that have been put into place i mean it's so sad but really the threat of being sued is for non-compliance is one of the only ways to use scare tactics to get corporations to really comply and for smaller organizations they're doing their best using screen read, I mean, um, tools like, you know, just browser tools to check and, and see if they're as compliant mm -hmm. as they can be. But there, there just aren't, there isn't budget on a regular basis to go past the initial display. So there's content creation, and then there's the initial display. And that can be, you know, a product or a website or an app. Uh, it just needs to take that iterative next step and I think that's really maybe a piece that we can continue to push on with our clients because we are building these experiences and we are working with them on kind of identifying where their budget needs to go and what needs to happen internally. And while we say that we need to keep working on this in an iterative way, I think looking at accessibility needs to be just a standard piece of the entire development and design process. And it just needs to be embedded into corporate culture and part of the budget and part of the timeline for testing. So, I mean, it just needs to continue. And again, I mean, I know it seems depressing to talk about because you don't see the changes happening, but the work that you guys are doing and the conversations that we have that guilt corporations into doing more, I mean, we got to use guilt, you know, got to do it. And so uh, I think I think it will continue to improve. And I mean, we have seen improvements, but it's just not apparent in a lot of the really day-to-day -day things and services and products that we're using. And so it's, it seems a little bit daunting for sure. Yeah. I was thinking about that too, when you, you know, uh, before the show, um, and thinking about, well, you know, here we are, we can, we can tell you all the problems, but you know, what's the solution. And, you know, there is a big move right now being like, you know what, the carrot's not working. So let's bring out the stick. And so the, the this talk of, of lawsuits and, and actually legislating these changes, I mean, it is unfortunate because you want to give people the benefit of the doubt and give corporations the benefit of the doubt that they're going to try to do the right thing. But, you know, maybe it is. Maybe we just we do need to, to just legislate more and to, to make people move into compliance as opposed to just waiting for them to decide that there's a business case for it or that it's the right thing to do. Well, we've also yep. talked about in the past too that, you know, especially when it comes to web design, 
you know, if you're going to school to learn how to be a programmer, coder, whatever, is there a touch on accessibility and accessible code? You know, I don't know. There might be a small module, a 15-minute talk. I don't know. But that needs to be more of the education as well. And then people coming out will at least have an understanding of what it is. Yeah, I think that I, I heard something. I can't remember what it was, but they were talking about education and accessibility. And they said it's touched on on a super high level, kind of like how I would talk about universal design and architecture mm. or inclusive design if you're approaching a new product or service. I think accessibility goes deep into code almost immediately. And I know that code isn't hand-coded anymore, mm -hmm. but for some reason, accessibility goes down a level to actually doing it and making it happen. And it's very, very specific. And there's not that higher level discussion about, um, or sorry, there is the discussion there, but there's not a deep training into right. accessibility on the, on the school level. And so they get into a corporation and you're, you're hitting the ground dealing with fires and the fires are get it up, get the content written, yeah. update the page, get the page out. And then you breathe for a minute and then there's the other fire that has to be put out. So the thing that happens is it's just continues. It's like exercise. We know it's important and we know we should be doing it, but all these other things kind of come into play why we don't do it. And so um, only when you get hit with like a chronic disease or you're being told that, you know, oh my gosh, if I don't exercise for 10 minutes a day, I'm going to have a cognitive decline in 10 years. Then you're like, okay, it's really important now. So I think that, um, yeah, it's just, it's just about helping to make it a priority internally. And um, some companies are hiring in and they're getting groups together. And these groups are focused on accessibility specifically, but it's really only happening at that really big corporate level. So um, it's, it's sad, but true. Some companies don't have the bandwidth or budget. Well, so, yeah. yeah it's, and that's unfortunate. They don't have the budget, but then they get sued and it costs them more in the long run. And a year from now, they're accessible now. So, you know, they don't have the budget yet. Somebody files a lawsuit and they, they are mandated to become accessible. They find a way. Yeah. 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 So how can we make that happen before the lawsuits? I mean, was, was there one for Subway? I mean, what was it? You know, people like, I need my food right now. And, Subways you know, was Instacart this tuna. To, yeah. 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 So there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. So yeah, I don't want to be a bummer. I mean, I mean, we, maybe, you know, you guys would be like, well, let's just edit this down. I mean, I heard. No, no, no. I... <laughs> you're, you're on the inside and you know, it, it gives me a little bit of hope to know that you are hearing more discussions mm -hmm. about accessibility, inclusivity, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's becoming, obviously a little bit more mainstream with all of the, you know, I'm Asian. And so there's Asian awareness. Yay. And there's so much happening with rights right now, you know, just digital rights. And it's across, I guess, I mean, it's age is a piece of that. Um, race uh, equity is a big word. And so I think one thing that has happened in the last two years is that these concepts of digital rights and digital equity and conversations about bandwidth and especially with kids being out of school. Wow. Uh, I, I, I do think this is now something that more people are aware, aware of 
and companies are being forced to do something about. I have a cousin who is a high school teacher and she spent her own money and raised her own money to buy laptops, to deliver it to students that didn't have them because schools were not doing enough. They could not work fast enough. She saw her students suffering. I mean, it, it has the, the teachers and what they've gone through in the last year and a half is just so incredible. I mean, talk about being on the front lines. Hmm. So, you know, kids that are at McDonald's, I mean, I have a friend who I want to do more for, but he is a teacher and he is living out of his car right now in LA and there's places he could go. So he's choosing to do this, but he drives to McDonald's and uses their Wi-Fi and teaches from his car. And in the 110 degree weather, he was trying to be under a tree to stay cool. And his phone during our, during our call overheated because it was so hot and he can't turn on the air conditioning because it'll be too loud. And I'm just watching this happen and thinking this is not the only person that is being affected by lack of access to high-speed internet during COVID. And it's, I, I don't want to over talk about COVID because mm. God knows we've had these discussions, but yeah. all the, all the people that used to go to libraries and, you know, access band, high bandwidth internet, you know, I mean, people don't pay for it at home. And a lot of the work that we did originally you know, just to think about access has to do with healthcare access. And we did do a lot of work with low income homes and they had one access point. And you know what that was? It was the teenager that had a smartphone that paid for their plan. And when they would come home from work or from school, from their three shift jobs, they would turn on this hotspot. And that was when everyone could access the internet and do whatever they had to do in between their three shifts. And so, you know, we don't understand often the problems of, of just pure access are having and that digital divide, um, but it is now something that people are aware of. And I think, and I hope that more is being done to cross that. So I, I think there's hope there. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's called a connectivity crisis. But seeing the pictures of the kids on the streets trying to get high internet, high, high access, high bandwidth access during, you know, trying to attend school. God, that broke my heart. Yeah, Just amazing. Yeah. And it's so interesting, too, because, you know, I feel like five years ago, that was a punchline of a joke, right? Where it's just like, oh, you, they, they want to, you know, the internet is an essential service. Ha ha. Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, you have to, you have to be able to surf the internet. Like, that's ridiculous. But it's true. Like, it's because it, we've, we've structured, we've, we've built this infrastructure into like essential services only being accessible through that that line and if you you don't have access right across the board of it yeah it's absolutely going to be a, a human rights problem yep and um I, I i think barack obama had a great quote i can't remember it right this second but something about um digital access is no longer a luxury mm -hmm. so uh yeah it's it's yeah. really really hitting home and and i and i and i think the changes are being made i mean i'm seeing grants running around and people are trying to get more money to do this, that, and the other. But one of the continuous discussions, at least around education and older adults and low-income families is crossing this digital divide. So, so we can only hope that the infrastructure dollars that are being put into everything right now also, you know, will go into getting 
higher speed access wherever it needs to go. And, you know, these corporations, they get a lot of flack, but I will say the McDonald's of this world and the Starbucks, they are providing high speed access to people who need it. And, um, and it, it does serve a purpose. So, you know, once people get back in person and uh, a lot of these things change, I mean, that's where people are working from and, uh, and uh, we need to, we need to make it a, a much better system so well, so there hey, is some some benefit to junk food <laughs> well hey listen you bring up mcdonald's uh we just did a story last week that that uh they have purchased the licenses for screen reading software that they'll be loading onto their kiosks other uh, kiosks so uh yeah they're 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 driving the football forward step good good for mcdonald's yeah and there's i mean i know that just in the in the Oh gosh, what's it? The finger spelling um, world. Uh, I mean, obviously, Apple announced. I can't. Gosh, I can't remember, but I saw it. Where at least when you go into an Apple store, you can call up someone in your language that can actually do translation um, if you're deaf. And so I, I kind of thought some of those things are cool. I, I don't know if it's just a marketing thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, sometimes sometimes if you have money and you have a lot of access to people at different, you know, physical places, then they can make this work. Um, and I think the same goes to like Walgreens and Rite Aid and everything. I mean, they're, they're continuing to have systems in place that they can kind of create and, and spread across. So, so yes, there could be hope guys. I, I don't know. And I don't mean to sound so negative from a, from a corporate perspective, but at least from what I'm seeing, there's at least there's movement happening. So, yeah, no, honestly, I can't, I don't know about Stephen Ryan, but I feel a little bit better today uh, after talking to you, actually, to be honest, like completely serious. Um, it, Cause it is nice to hear that, that those concepts are, are really beginning to, to take hold. And I think that it also gives us the perspective that, you know, these things do take time. It's not going to be an overnight fix. Um, people aren't going to just shift their perspective overnight. So uh, I think what, what we've learned today is we're going to be doing this podcast probably until we're about 90 <laughs> before we can finally be like, okay, everything's accessible. We can, we can go and play shuffleboard now. It doesn't matter That's though, Rob. Right. That still fits with our retirement plans. <laughs> that, is, that is true. Actually, that that's quite in line with my retirement plan. Um, you guys are you guys are in Canada, so I think it's better than what we've got here. So <laughs> that's right, Freedom ninety five. Um, mm -hmm. Kelly, um, before we let you go, um, where can people find you on this thing that they we're calling the web? And uh, if people want to reach out, if they're interested in what you guys are working on. Anything at all you want to plug? Well, I have launched kellygoto.com. Wow. And that, that's an easy way to get a hold of me. And I actually looked at it uh, on a <laughs> on wave visit. Um, and it, it has its issues, so I'm going to fix them. Um, but yeah, I built it, you know, using Webflow and put that up there. So kellygoto.com is a good way to get a hold of me. And then my entities are gotomedia.com and gotoresearch.com. And we just continue to fight the fight. And I continue to at least embed the thinking into every project that we have that we need to be accessible. So thanks you guys so much for giving me a forum to discuss. Uh, absolutely. And listen, please come back and, and talk to us again. 
yeah, and let's continue the conversation because it needs to improve and we'll continue to fight the fight. All right. It's a deal. Thank you. First, I got to have lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks, you guys. And thanks for your time. And it was great to chat. And please, let's continue the discussion. 100%. Sounds good. Okay. Awesome. All right. Yep. Talk to you guys again. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Oh man, well, you know what? That was really super cool to to talk to her again. I'm really glad that that uh, that came through. Yeah, I wasn't sure which direction the conversation was going to go in. You know, we did have the topic of digital accessibility in mind, and we were kind of all over the place a little bit. But coming out of that conversation, I'm optimistic that you know yeah. there is more awareness. Uh, the conversation is taking place. So yeah, yeah, that's what I kind of got out of it too. Is that the conversations are are happening on that corporate level where I think that it has to. And I think that, you know, this idea of inclusion and diversity um, is really starting to trickle down and sort of starting to make some differences in, in corporate outlooks, which is where I think that, that that needs to happen. Because if we really want digital accessibility to take hold, uh, that, you know, it, it's, it's gonna be the, the larger corporations that, that make that happen. Well, and you mentioned how connected, you know, the world is now, right? Whether it's home appliances, smart TVs, your, your iPhone in your pocket, you know, we're connected 24-7. And so having access to all of the services and goods um, is so important to not yeah. just to not just those who can afford it, but to everyone. Well, that was, yeah, that was really interesting too. The, I, cause I, it's, uh, to be honest with you, it's never, not even really something that I considered, no. um, but Kelly was so right about this idea of broadband, um, mm-hmm. and, and how important that is. And the fact that for people who don't have the means say to be connected all the time to the internet, that could really shut them out of some essential services and yeah. essential experiences. You know, we take it for granted that, you know, we're just always connected to the internet, but you know what, unplug your cable modem for a day and see what your, your life is like. And, yep. and remember that, uh, you know, not everybody is in the same boat. So that's, you know, that's a really interesting whole other conversation, a whole other podcast episode too. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I feel better. I'm, I'm thrilled that we, we had her on again and I, I can't wait to have her on again. Cause I feel like every time she's on, we have an incredible conversation. So, all right, well, you know what, this episode's going long, my friend. So let's, uh, I think we should just, uh, get the hell out of here. What do you think? sounds good to me. All right. Well, in that case, uh, where can people find us? They can find us at atbanter.com. Hey, they can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at atbanter.com and they can find us on facebook instagram and twitter you know it's funny i was just editing the uh the limitless podcast uh, earlier so i almost gave the limitless podcast <laughs> or the, the email address for them so that's funny still in my brain yeah. uh all right well hey thanks everybody for listening in a big thanks to kelly Godo once again and we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. 
For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 